You gotta have a podcast. 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 What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to You Gotta Have a Podcast. I am your host, Angela Palladino. Thank you again for joining me for another episode of the Season of the Swerve. Time keeps on slipping into the future. As the words of the great Steve Miller Band says, and you're stuck in the middle with me, neither of those references are for anyone under the age of 50. But nevertheless, she persisted. All that to say, I'm back with another episode. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. I have a really lovely guest, a good friend of mine, a magical man, if I do say so myself. He's worked in news and production as an AD. He dabbles in magic and independent zine publishing, and he's a very passionate dungeon master with multiple podcasts about just that, Dungeons and Dragons. Our guest today is Brian Flaherty. Brian and I talk about the importance of our passions and people, and how in some cases, what you're passionate about is less so about the medium and more about the people that you have the opportunity to work with, like working with your friends, people that you care about and respect. We talk about burnout in the production industry for the crew workers on set and how that can take a toll on you and work that you once found engaging and thrilling can start to break down your soul and you might need to retreat into the magical world of the 20-sided die. It's a really lovely and thoughtful conversation with a lovely and thoughtful man. Here is my conversation with Brian Flaherty. I'll be honest. I feel like every every bit of my life, I'm like mid swerve. I've I've been uh, I've taken a lot of strange, like weird paths. You know, where I like I started, you know, in college doing chemistry, and very quickly realized, like I, I could tell you the story of like the moment freshman year where I realized I didn't want to do chemistry and like I liked film, but mm-hmm. I had to finish my chemistry degree because that's like where my head was at. I was like a, a weird completionist, which you know says something about me, I guess. <laughs> And then, so, you know, I get a a second, you know, degree in film, which was from Ohio State was kind of worthless. It was like a film history degree, but it was, it was an easy thing to add on. Um, And then I come out to New York and get a job at CBS doing, you know, page work. So the grunt work, you know, you think Kenneth from NBC, but it's like way worse than that. It's not, you know, NBC page (laughs) program is like a real thing. CBS page program is garbage. It's not good. Or at least it was at the time. It may be better. I didn't even know they had one. Yeah, they really keep it on the down low. Um, <laughs> it, it was fun though. Like that's, I, you know, I met uh, a lot of good friends. That's where I met Alex Norsha. That's where I met Matt DeCaro, who I lived with for a number of years. Um, so it, like, it was a good time. It was a great way to bond. It, you know, it, it felt like one of those good, like first post-college jobs where, you know, you have the local watering hole around the corner that serves the shit beer and the cheap wings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you move on from that. And like, I, I found myself in news and news is a thing like very much like production or very much like these like high stress jobs where if you don't love it, you can't do it for very long. Like you'll just yeah. get burned out by it. Um, and I did, I was doing overnight shifts at CBS radio news. So we do like, you know, top of the hour, bottom of the hour broadcast plus like options for broadcast every 10 minutes. And I was going from like 10 PM to 8 AM. Um, which I, that is which, rough. <laughs> You know, I, people always say it's rough and I, I, I tell them to think of it this way. You know, I work at all the hours that my friends are asleep. Uh, I sleep all the hours my friends are at work. 
And then all the, like we essentially hang out all the same hours and there is nothing more beautiful in this world than hopping on the subway at Columbus Circle and taking the train the opposite direction as everyone else at 8 a.m. You know, going like you're heading to bed and everyone else is heading to work. And it's just mm, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, I guess. But, so would you just like your social life was uh, before work then? Yeah, my if social life was I, I would be cutting out of parties. You know, we'd be like playing a board game. We'd be at a party. I'd be like, all right, I got to go to work. Yeah. People are like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you got to go to work? It's like, yeah, I got eight, eight hours of, of radio broadcasts. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I, I, I got kind of burned out on that it, and it just wasn't what I loved. And if you don't love it, yeah. I don't think you can do it. Um, I'm sure there are mm-hmm. people who try, but it's not fun if you don't love it. Um, and then I moved on into like television production, doing uh, working as an assistant director first as a PA and kind of like rising through the ranks there. And those like, you know, a, a PA's day on a set, the minimum hours are like 12 hours. Like that's your standard. 12 hours right. is standard. Once you get into higher positions, like once, especially on like the AD track, the assistant director track, you're looking at, you know, 14 hours is a minimum. So you come in early, you stay late. And yeah. that's, that's where everything goes right. I mean, I've had, I could tell you stories about days that are 21 hours, that are 18 <laughs> oh, <God>. hours. Yep. <laughs> and, and it, like, I, I absolutely love the, I love the work. I love the people. There's a reason people like take these hours and take this pay and this job and stuff because it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's just great. But I, I've re- I think part of the, you know, um, the pandemic hit and I was like off work for most of that because everything I do was in person. Um, and it, it really gave everyone in the production industry a time to like reflect. And that's, you know, kind of why you saw this uh, IATSE strike happening recently mm-hmm. um, or like potential strike happening. But it really it really made me, you know, kind of reflect like, is what I'm getting worth what I'm giving up? Right. Because if you're working 14 hours a day, say you've got two hours of travel, that's 16 hours. Well, you're supposed to sleep eight hours. So what else? You know, you come home, you shovel food in your gullet, you go to sleep. I, you know, if you're on a long show, you basically widow your partner for a while. You can't yeah. really like go to the gym because you're too tired. You're not like cooking good food. You're just picking up Chinese every day at best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're not like barely enough time to shower. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I'm, I've found myself kind of mid mid swerve of examining is that life as much as I like it, as much as I enjoy the work, is that life worth it in the long run? Yeah. It's very hard to be sustainable in that. Um, for a long time. Like I look at, I mean, also I guess there's a reason that the people that are doing it for like their whole career forever, you know, you go on hiatus and you take a couple of weeks off in between shows if you can help it, especially if you're union and you're making a little bit of money. <laughs> that is definitely the thing that I would do where I would, you know, I'd work for two weeks or a month on a show. And you like you kind of, that's like kind of your life. You're on the show. You don't really see friends. You maybe see some people on the weekends if you have them. Mm. You know, you see your partner a little bit. And then I'd take a month, like just a pure month off. Yeah. Um. partially just because you kind of need to like I I've never been a like worker workaholic where I'm like I gotta have my next fix of work it doesn't mean like I don't love the job I just don't value it's not where I place all my value I place my value on like my time with friends and family and 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 just myself and being able to like you know walk around the city that I love Mm -hmm. yeah Um, it's tough to do when you're uh, on set for 14 hours. <laughs> yeah. Not easy. Not easy. <laughs> no, 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 not so. 
it is funny because those types of jobs are, I mean, I work in the same industry and it's, it is like a little bit of a drug. Like it feels like really fun and cool, but then also it is like there, there have been days where I've come off like a 20 hour day and I can't find anywhere to park the freaking car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like broken down crying. And I was like, all I want to do is go to bed and I can't park this car anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like really fucking awful shit like and, that. And you're so. not wrong about it it being like a drug because there is something very, you know, you, you, you do some of these shows sometimes where it's just a nightmare through and through. Like, you know, your first couple of days mm-hmm. are 15, 16 hours. Everyone's mad. There's so many problems. Production's cheap. You know, all these different things. But you like you find your team and you all kind of complain about the same things together and you kind of bond through this. I mean, it's very much like going. I don't want to be too melodramatic, but it is going to battle is going to war. Like you find your people, you find your allies, you hold them very close. You do this very difficult thing together. You cut, you know, you assault problems, you figure them out together and you get on the Mm -hmm. other end. And even though you just went through, you know, not to be too melodramatic, you go through hell like you have a like a really <laughs> rough couple of days, really rough couple of weeks, really rough couple of months, months yeah. where you're not happy. You get on the other end and there's a feeling of accomplishment like, hey, we did it. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes what, what I'm kind of reflecting back on now at this stage of my career is that. Oftentimes that feeling of elation and that feeling of camaraderie is really masking like the abuse, like the, the actual like, you know, physical, mental yeah. abuse that, ha- that that can happen on, on sets. And this is the, the, you know, the reason why IATSE was threatening to strike and, in mm-hmm. my opinion, probably should have because I don't think they got the deal they deserved. Uh, yeah, agreed. Because there are a lot of, it, it is an industry that is very true that if you don't want to do the job, there's someone from Ohio uh, that does and will do it for cheaper. And yeah. that's a, a power, it's, it's a truth and it's a powerful you know, threat. I mean, there are a lot of industries like this, right? Like the production filmmaking is like this. Um, I was talking to someone recently who's in the food world and like kitchens are like this yeah. for chefs. Like it is even the the language that is used is like basically militarized. There's this whole like, all oh, of yeah. like the jargon, like calling a fucking clothespin a C-47. Like why? Yeah. Why? It's a clothespin. I mean, like, I mean <laughs> I, you know, the, the woman I, I trained under, um, was an AD and the the guy she trained her was actually like a former, I believe former Navy SEAL. And I mean, she, had, she adopted <laughs> a lot of that and took on this very like military approach. And there, there is something to be said for that. There's a clear chain of command because what people think they want is a very collaborative environment and that should exist. Right. But the, pro- the problem that happens is if, if we are under a time crunch, we have an hour to get this thing done and everyone's trying to give an opinion, but no one had, no one knows who's in charge. That yeah. presents a problem. Whereas when there yeah. is a very clear hierarchy and someone just gets to make that decision, or you can say, it is also like a very powerful thing to say, that's not my job. I have like, I haven't been tasked with that. Someone else has been tasked with that. We need to confirm what they want to do. Yeah. And also, especially in something like production where it is dangerous uh, work yeah. and it's like only certain people are allowed to do certain jobs. <laughs> if you yeah. do not have the expertise in the certifications to do this thing, you're not allowed to do it. Don't touch it. <laughs> you're yeah. going to electrocute yourself. <laughs> um, true. Yeah, but it is, it is a, it is a, a drain in a, in a soul suck a little bit, uh, even though as fun as it can be, as fun as it can be, you know, it's, it's, uh, if you don't get the proper recovery time, 
right not sustainable (laughs) and part of the problem is like you know for me what uh i've been asked the question before like what you know what do you want to whenever you're working in production people ask you where do you want to be like what do you want to be doing yeah and and usually it's like people saying oh i want to be a director i want to be a writer i want to be an actor i want to be a dp something like that Mm. um and for me the i never quite knew how to answer but the best answer i could always give was i want to be working on my stuff i want to be working my friend's stuff and i want to feel ownership of what I'm working on. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, I've worked on a lot of, um, mostly like competition style cooking shows, you know, beat Bobby Flay, where's cooks in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you work on a lot of these shows and I I love the work. I, you know, I'm proud of the stuff that I did. You know, we got the days done. Um, I, I like to think that I made, you know, there might be someone out there listening who has worked with me and does not think this is true. I hope not. But uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of an 80s job is to be the communication hub to make sure everyone knows where they're supposed to be going. And really, like, yeah. I always express that I if I do my job right, everyone gets to do the work they want to do. No one's rushed. I'm not pressuring anyone to get to do work they don't want to do or do yeah. a quality of work they don't want to do. And I think I, I, I have been successful in adding that element. So while I'm proud of the work I do, I don't feel any ownership of beat Bobby Flay. I don't feel any ownership of right. Worst Cooks in America or Chocolate Explosion or any of these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas like working on a podcast or working on, you know, uh, a friend's, you know, uh, Nicolas Cage, Shakespeare, Shakespeare inspired play in the park. I mm-hmm. do feel an ownership of that. And I, I think I'm getting to the point now where I'm realizing I'd rather spend my time trying to chase that that desire for ownership and that desire for fulfillment in that way, rather than chasing money, I guess, uh, yeah. which, which may be dumb. Cause like you can make a pretty lucrative living in <laughs> film and television. If you just keep specializing in things like, you know, specializing yeah. as an AD in food culinary competition shows, it's a very niche market. I know all the people that do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, maybe not the best choice for my uh, financial stability. <laughs> But from mental stability, it's been it's been good so far. Is the goal then eventually to have the ownership things be the, the lucrative things, too? I mean, right. I, I think that's I mean, that's you know, that's always the ideal. You know, the right. you know, the old adage, you know, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life, which I don't really believe. But but there is. Yeah, obviously, like doing the thing that. Most fulfills you making that profitable is obviously the dream. That sounds great. Right. Um, is that always possible no is that always um really the best path probably not like i i at this point you know as i've said before you know in the in the theme of this season i'm a bit mid-swerve where i do want to chase some of these more um impassioned dreams uh Mm -hmm. things that uh, i feel more ownership of things that i'm more excited about to help create and help build Mm -hmm. but there is there is still a very real part of me that loves coming on to a like first season show building the schedule and building the you know building the first draft of the call sheet building the first draft of the schedule realizing what's right what's wrong and figuring out those problems and like building my team finding my people you know figuring out how things work solving those problems i i found that i personally thrive more as a collaborator than as like a solo artist or in any solo capacity i think alone i'm fine uh i think as part of a stew uh i work a lot better and i think i have more to add um yeah 
Uh, and maybe maybe that's self-deprecating or maybe that says something no. about me in general. But I th- but I think that is like a bit of a truth of me. Yeah, I completely understand that. I feel the same way. Like when it, I work better in a writer's room than I do writing solo, I work better, you know, with a team that especially I'm close with and can collaborate with. Like when I'm directing, I if I have an AD that I trust and a DP that I trust, then in between every shot, it's like discussions about how we can make you know, yeah. this better than what I already came up with in my shot list. Like it's the, those sorts of discussions, you know? <laughs> and, and I think there is uh, a certain kind of hubris to think that something that anything I can do alone would be better than something I can do with other people. Like, it's like, completely like, wrong. Like, and like, don't get me wrong. Creating something by committee is often bad, but creating something with, um, with input and with collaboration is often so much better than what I can do by yeah. myself. Well, I, w- I talked about this on an episode of the show before um, with Michelle O'Brien, where we were talking about this exact thing. And it's like, you have all these ideas of like the auteur, right? Like uh, Hemingway, Scorsese, like yeah. Kubrick, all these people. But it's like, you do know that like Scorsese has a DP that he's been working with for like 40 years and an yeah. editor that he's been working with since like 1974. <laughs> like these are people that are just as much Martin Scorsese's Autornis as he is like <laughs> yeah as much as i love you know francois truffaut and his whole like auteur series mm-hmm. uh you know his conversation with hitchcock i think he he did do a bit of a disservice to artists and stuff by by like romanticizing this idea of like you know the director is the 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 i don't know the creative head or is the the yeah. is the only true artist on set the lone wolf with a glass of whiskey just like brewing up these like yeah, implausibly perfect ideas and they don't need anyone's help. It's like, fuck you. And, and, and really, not only is it a disservice to the, the like the other people on set who are just as much a part of making specifically like a movie or a television show as the director is sometimes mm-hmm. even more so depending on like what the thing is. Yeah, um, I think it's also a disservice to people who aspire to be a director who now have or a writer or anything who now have this idea of, oh, it's who, who have this singular vision idea where it's, oh, it's my way or the highway. It's only a me thing. Everything's on me. Like not only are you putting more pressure on yourself, you're putting. You really have a, a fictional idea of what working in a, a highly, highly collaborative space is. I mean, yeah, it takes a village to make a movie. I mean, when you think of especially like, you know, a hundred million, you know, a Marvel movie, you basically <laughs> yeah. like create a brand new company that could nearly be listed on like the stock market. You know, it's this like a hundred million dollar, 200, $300 million thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you build it up and then six months later you finish it and you tear the whole company down. I mean, <laughs> it is a massive uh, endeavor to do these things and to think that as much weight as a director gives to think that they're shouldering as much as I think a lot of people like unfamiliar with the film industry think they're shouldering is really just unfair to people who want that job, who aspire to that kind of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then, yeah, you ultimately just end up with a bunch of people misinformed about what the job actually entails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so then, so I guess, so was the, the, uh, the impetus of this current swerve that you are mid you're at the swerve. 
part. I'm at, not I'm the, at the swa. To the verve. I'm at the uh, swa. <laughs> the, 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 the verve is still, you know, in the in the future. Yeah. Uh, I can see their uh, album art there. in the future. What's, what's um, the verve is, song? Is, Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah, I can hear Bittersweet Symphony in the yeah. in the distance. <laughs> uh, so was this this current? move that you're making where you're was it built out of burnout a little bit when you're starting to realize like this might not be sustainable in the long haul i mean maybe or was it also a combination of you know you had no other choice during you know the six months that there wasn't any production last year you know i i don't think it was because there are there are times earlier in my career when i was you know a pa a second second ad a second ad where i was working significantly more and now being being a first city being like a head of department you know, the, the benefit of that is the rate's pretty good. I can work, you know, it is realistic for me to work a month and then take a month off and still be mm-hmm. very comfortable, um, which is, you know, a blessing that I, I shouldn't, you know, be walking <laughs> away from as easily as I am. But luckily it's, you know, it's still a tool in my toolkit. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily burnout, but it was after the pandemic, you know, I had six months where I wasn't really doing anything. Uh, I was, you know, I was very fortunate in a lot of ways. You know, my stimulus check came right through. Unemployment was fine. No one I knew mm-hmm. really got sick too bad. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I was living with uh, my girlfriend. We had just gotten two cats. They were a blessing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, as terrible as the pandemic was, it didn't go too bad for me. Mm-hmm. And so I got six months to just like relax and reflect. And, you know, I had because it's a high stress job, I had had like, you know, some bouts of like panic attacks that uh, mm-hmm. I'd been working through. And then those kind of, you know, went away cause I had six months to, you know, not have to worry about anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, coming back, I got back to work doing uh, the, the first thing I did coming back was an overnight shoot uh, inside Hershey park. Uh, it was like wow. a, week, a week long thing where we shot a cooking competition show. I think it's out now. It's called like a, uh, Chocolate meltdown Hershey's after dark. Um, I got a. I haven't actually watched it yet, but it was very fun to shoot. Sonny Anderson was one of the hosts. Uh, the guy from um, uh, Cake Boss, not the Cake Boss, but his like second in command. Um, yeah, Cake Boss had a, a major injury. I don't know if you heard. Oh yeah, the Cake Boss. He got his hand. Cake, yeah, yeah, he did mangled, something with his hand. I think. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, continue on about your chocolate show. Uh, so, so we worked on this thing. It was, I think it was a uh, chocolate explosion, Hershey's after dark. And it was overnight mm-hmm. shoots where the, the conceit of the show was there would be a cooking competition, like inside Hershey's chocolate world, like inside the store aspect. And then okay. midway through the competition, the, the people would have to run out into the park, ride a ride to get a clue to like, you know, do a different <laughs> thing to their chocolate. That's insane. <laughs> Crazy show. Um, I got me and uh, Matt Takaro, who I met at CBS when I first moved here. He was like one of my first roommates. We ended up being that. like one of the first people I met. Now one of my best friends. We just did like a big bike ride together. <laughs> um, that's a tangent, but um, <laughs> but you know, very good friend. I got him on as my second AD, and we went to to Hershey and we did these overnight shoots, and it was a lot. It was exhausting. There was you know these big you know company moves. Kind of it was this weird. You know there was I think there was like eight cameras plus a jib. So it was a decently big shoot, and especially like during. It was early COVID. So we still like people didn't really know mm-hmm. how to properly do this stuff. So we were, you know, doing the best we could um, following, you know, the SAG after white paper stuff, the kind of like guidelines they set. Um, but there was an aspect of it where I got home and I kind of realized like, you know, I was away from home for 10, you know, maybe like eight, 10 days, something like that. Mm-hmm. And all I had to show for it was like 
eh, me and Matt had some fun hanging out at the, I, I don't know. It, it didn't, I didn't feel as fulfilled as yeah. I had, I had before. I think maybe I, my eyes had been opened a little bit because of six months off. Like I went, I didn't have that work brain. It was just mm-hmm. constantly going. Um, though there is, you know, there is also something to be said where, you know, 4am I was like riding a golf cart through a completely empty Hershey park uh, <laughs> with no one in sight. And there, there's an aspect of that where it's like, all right, this is pretty fucking cool. Like I can't complain about yeah. it. So <laughs> I, I really don't want you to think I'm complaining about this, but I I've realized a lack of fulfillment and maybe, maybe that's because, you know, I'm in more of a, um, uh, like as an AD, I'm in more of like a logistical role. So maybe I can't find fulfillment there. I don't know. But for some, yeah. for some reason, I didn't find as much fulfillment as I had. Doesn't mean yeah. I didn't enjoy it. Doesn't mean I didn't take my job seriously. And, you know, I think I did a good job on all these things. Um, and, you know, there's a few shows after that, you know, this table show with Martha Stewart and kind of the same thing. You know, I really enjoyed the work, really enjoyed the people I worked with. Like I enjoyed the challenge of it but still yeah. kind of came out of it feeling like, uh, I, that's a lot of time. That's so much time. Right. Um, and and then like, it does take away from your time to do other things. Like it, it, it steals, you know, your time for your partner. I had gotten really into cooking during the pandemic and I, yeah. you know, you don't have time to cook. And I, you know, I like to like take my time and do a whole fucking thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had gotten into going to the gym and it's like when you work 14 hours a day and you only have an hour to do a fun thing, Going to the gym usually goes pretty far down my list yeah. as much as I enjoy it. Um, yeah, you, it's, it's the opportunity cost. Um, yeah. I've realized is higher than I thought it was, or maybe it's just gotten higher. That, that opportunity cost is something that I used to like, it, I, I very like fundamentally based many of my decisions on that a couple of years ago to the point where now it's just, I think, ingrained in my decision-making processes. There is, uh, especially now, you know, I, I turned 30 a couple of months ago and, um, but I, you know, I, I think this is true for a lot of people and it's definitely true for me. I always feel like 22, 23. I, I always like in my head, I kind of always do the math from there. I'm sure when I was 22 or 23, I felt 18. I'm sure 18, I felt 14, whatever. Um, but you feel a lot, a lot younger than you are. And what the problem with that is, is that I am sometimes in the mindset of like early 20s where I think, oh, all my friends are like available and stuff and like we can go hang. But when, once you get to, you know, your early 30s, uh, your late 20s, more things start to pull at your time. So maybe you have a serious relationship. Some people I know are, you know, having kids or getting married or, mm-hmm. you know, moving away. And, and all of a sudden it just gets a little bit harder to do some of these things that it's very fun to do for free and like with your friends when you're early twenties and becomes much more difficult when you're in your thirties. So when I do these kind of like personal projects, like I, you know, I, I ran a, uh, like a collaborative zine that I did yeah. every month for like, um, I did 10 issues right up until the pandemic and the pandemic hit. And I was like, this isn't fun anymore. Um, <laughs> and then I'm doing this, the, these, a uh, couple of, uh, Dungeons and Dragons related podcasts. Yeah. I always go into it like telling people up front, like, Hey, here's what the time commitment is. Here's what, like I, what I am asking from you. And here is all the stuff you need. Like, I really try to make it, you know, if they need, you know, for a Dungeons and Dragons, if they need dice, I send them dice. If they need a player's hand, I send them a player's hand. If they don't have a good yeah. microphone, I ship them a good microphone. You know, I try to make it as set it up for success. Yeah. 
set it up for success, but also make it as low a lift for them as possible. Exactly. Because ultimately, as much as I want my projects to be important to my friends, they're not. They're not as important to my friends as they are to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's and it's not fair of me to put something that is urgent and important to me into like their urgent and important pile. Because yeah. once you do that, that's where you create friction and stress. Yeah. So I just try to put, I try to take on as many of the problems as I can, which probably says something about me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and like allow anyone who I want to collaborate with me on a personal project, be very clear about what I need for them, be very clear about what I want and say, hey, if, if you can do this, great. Here's what we can do. I can help you to do this, yada, yada. If you mm-hmm. can't do that, no, no worries, my guy. Like I yeah. totally get you're you're busy. You're running a YouTube. You're doing this. You're, yeah. You've got a banking job. You've got a kid on the way. Absolutely. Screw my project. But <laughs> but if you have the time, hey, let's hang out. It'll be a lot of fun and yeah. we'll do this cool thing together. I, I received this very, very important piece of advice many years ago that I didn't really fully <laughs> let absorb into my brain until about three or four years ago. But the piece of advice was nobody will love your baby as much as you love your baby. Yes. And, um, and especially I feel like when we are starting out when we're in your, our early twenties in New York, making a bunch of fun, stupid projects with our friends, you know, mm. videos and sketches and other random stuff, putting on shows, you all, always like think like oh well this is an awesome thing why wouldn't anyone want to like be involved in it but then it does hit a certain point where it's like okay there's no more abundance of free time anymore right (laughs) yeah at this point you know i'm I'm 30 i was very involved in like i knew a lot of friends in the new york comedy scene as you know as you do and a lot of my friends are way way more successful than me or at least are more successful in like a public eye or something um and i always feel weird or icky like trading on that friendship a little bit like you know yeah. i've got um uh i i i want to give an example but it, it even feels weird to me it's like name dropping sample so i, I i've got a friend who runs a very uh big you know youtube channel mm-hmm. good friend i for four years i was friends with this guy didn't know that this is what he did with his life because uh, <laughs> he was just so he like never talked about it. it was just a thing he was quietly very successful and very good at yeah. um and then, I, you know, I had this idea to do, you know, these D&D podcasts and he was kind of in an adjacent space and I wanted to bring him on because like we had played before and like he's a good friend. I knew he'd be a good guest, but it felt very weird to me to like almost be trading on his success because like there is a little part of your lizard brain that's like, uh, ah, yeah. you know, I, I want to, you know, you kind of want to glom onto a bit of that success and it's, it's a bummer and I, I try not to do that. I really do. But, but also, I don't know, like maybe that's the wrong way to think about it. Maybe there's like a necessity to some of that. I don't know. I think that there's a certain balance there. I mean, I totally understand what you're saying. And, and you sometimes get you get caught up in playing the game of like, how how stacked can I make my lineup? Like how like you're trying yeah. like almost like a fantasy football team. You're trying to like maximize your your, oh, yeah. your lineup. Um, but and, and it, you can oftentimes or at least I could every now and then you get lost in the game of that, of like, oh, I can get this person and this, and wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't this be a great pairing or whatever? Yeah. And then kind of forget like, that is a, I, I shouldn't be doing this to my friend. Like this, I'm trading yeah. on something that I maybe shouldn't. <laughs> and, you know, I'd rather protect this friendship than build this thing. 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've, I've overthink, I've overthought this, but I think at least being conscious. I don't know. I think that you can, um, I think that you can, as long as you make whatever the experience is, like value add for them. Like for example, yes. Like if it's something that they really, really would enjoy doing and you know that because you're friends with them, they're probably going to want to do it regardless. They're not. (laughs) Oh no. I I, I I don't don't want to be like too self-effacing, but I have always had, you know, just because of the job I do, the job we do, yeah. um, you know, you kind of come in contact with a bunch of like decently, you know, mid-level celebrities or whatever. Right. Um, which is like fun and cool, but I've never, and, and, you know, just living in New York, you like run into Jake Gyllenhaal on the subway every now and then it's just like, oh, what a weird thing. <laughs> uh, but I've never been the person who is like excited to take a picture with someone. Fam- like I have no interest in no. being with someone or working with someone if they don't have an interest in working with me. Like if there's not. Yeah, an, I just a, feel a, an it feels very there. icky when that happens. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I, I, I'm sure if I thought of it, there's a person I would make an exception for. Like if I saw Bill Murray, I might go take a picture with Bill Murray. But. Um, but it, I'd rather have. In like all facets of the, you know, with a, yeah. you know, in the outskirts of like the, you know, that celebrity aspect or with like friends that I'm collaborating with, I'd rather have a productive collaboration where we're both gaining something from it. And that's why I really try to minimize, I try to maximize like the things that I take on and minimize what my collaborators have to take on until, until they say like, Hey, I can take on more or I, I yeah. want to be more involved. Yeah. Totally. And I also just think the respect of people's time is important too. Yeah. I, I, I always told, um, my crews and especially the, my like second AD, my second, second AD people working directly under me that I, the most, what I mean, like obviously crew safety is most important to me. Making the day is important to me, mm-hmm. but really what I want to protect is everybody's two hours. And what I meant by that was we work 12 hours. Uh, we commute for two hours. That's 14 hours. We're supposed to sleep eight hours. That's 22 hours. That means the crew has two hours to do their life. Mm-hmm. I, my job is to protect those two hours. They can get out of here on time, live their life for the short amount of time they get to with our jobs, and then come back to work the next day safe, sound, and having accomplished all they want to outside of work. Yeah. Um, so to sort of bring us to like some of the things you're focusing on now, right? Now that you are, you know, moving a little bit away from, you know, uh, from the your production work i'm sure you're probably still doing some from time to time to pay the rent and all that yeah absolutely. but you're focusing more on your projects and your creative endeavors and, and and working with your friends and collaborating what are some of the stuff that is most um exciting to you because like i know you used to run the zine mm-hmm. call and response which was really interesting uh collaborative project that was a print medium uh, you've also yeah. did some sh- live shows related to that um and now you have your multiple podcasts what uh what, what direction do you kind of see yourself going in um so i what, what i've discovered is uh, so i during the pandemic and before the pandemic i had gotten really into dungeons and dragons i'd play a lot with friends and during the pandemic it was really uh, me and like five of the people started a game literally mm-hmm. like a week before the pandemic. We did one game in person and then the pandemic hit and we, we played every week for like 52 weeks straight. Um, wow. <laughs> and it was really like a, you know, I don't, it, it was a bit of a saving grace. It was like a thing to keep you grounded and sane. Like everyone kind of had their things to get through the pandemic. Um, yeah. And, you know, just mentally. And that mm-hmm. was one of mine. And I, I, you know, I've, I've always loved, you know, uh, 
Adventure Zone, not another D and D podcast, Critical Role, like all, all these very you know big big name D and D podcasts, yeah. and and it always wanted to do one. And I was like, you know, why don't I? Let's do it. How how hard can it be? Um, you know, got a microphone, got some friends together, uh, started doing it, and realized I really and this is something I found with the Zine too. I really liked the process of like the nitty gritty of audio editing of like really mm-hmm. getting down and dirty and like, you know, mixing the sound, mixing the audio levels, editing things out, you know, pulling in music, pulling in sound effects, making things sound good and like heightening areas where I wanted to heighten and pull back on areas where I wanted to pull back. Because mm-hmm. with this, you know, we, we record and it's, it's kind of set in stone. Like I can't really fix what we say. Like if we make a weird turn and there's a boring bit, I can't really, I can cut it out maybe. Um, yeah. Otherwise I can just heighten or, or lower. And I've enjoyed that. And I, and I think that kind of harkens back to my idea that I think I'm a better collaborator than I am like a solo act or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was true when I, when I did the zine too. I, you know, did the, the, the first one was basically like, I, I did it in Adobe InDesign, but basically I could have done it in Microsoft Word. I mean, it was very, <laughs> very simple. Um, and each month I kind of upped the gradient a little bit on myself just because like, I wasn't satisfied. I kept like looking at other, you know, magazines and layouts and stuff. And by yeah. the, by the, uh, I think we finished it at 10th. By the time we got to the 10th issue, it was really like a thing. Like I, I was on the border of being in a place where I was beginning, beginning to be satisfied with it. Yeah. Um, but again, it was kind of a thing where people would submit stuff and I couldn't change their stuff. Like they, they would submit a story to me or they would submit a mm-hmm. picture or a photograph, or whatever. And I can't alter that. I, I, you know, there's nothing I can do creatively other than heighten it with, you know, the layout design or, you know, I mean, if it's bad, you know, diminish it with like placement in the magazine or how it's designed. Right. Um, but that was, uh, was fun to me. It was like, I liked the process of that creation. And I found that true with uh, the podcast as well. Cause I mean, the, the way I've designed these D and D podcasts is incredibly collaborative. There's a, you know, supplementary podcast called Cannon Fodder, where we literally like build, I bring on guests and we spin a wheel to decide what we're talking about, like, you know, food, fashion, different aspects mm-hmm. of the world. And we build it together. Uh, so literally like the world that I'm going to be playing in, in one podcast is being built by a collective in a different podcast, <laughs> um, which is really just a great cheat for me. I just get to do a writer's room every couple of days and then like <laughs> throw that into the game and, you know, act as if I'm God. But I, but I really enjoyed that. I've enjoyed the process of audio editing, of finding a, um, f- finding a thing that I, I feel an ownership of and a thing that I, I want to like keep making bigger and kind of like, yeah, I've got plans for like three or four different supplementary shows and like fun <laughs> ideas uh, that are literally the all- The extended universe. <laughs> honestly, there's, they're like, there's like three shows that I <laughs> am actively planning. I'm, I'm planning on doing like three seasons of the show concurrently um i always end up biting off more than i can chew um you know i enjoy it and and there there is a very i mean anyone you know who has a podcast mm-hmm. uh, there is a especially with something as niche as a D, you know actual play podcast where all the episodes are like an hour and a half to two hours long like it requires some commitment it is a yeah. niche field even though D is like a big uh, you know fairly big thing <laughs> it's niche very real chance that I never make a dime off this thing that I am spo- I, that I'm throwing hundreds of hours into audio editing for something that is <laughs> only for creation sake and for fun. Yeah. But honestly, it's kind of, you know, 
worth it to me. I, 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 if nothing else, I've learned how to use Adobe Audition like and properly record things. Yeah. Um, which may or may not help me in the future. <laughs> but I do find fulfillment in this thing. And, and, and looking at like, you know, outside of that as well, you know, uh, just before the pandemic, I, I did a, I was a producer on this play that a buddy of mine put on that we did in Prospect Park. It was like totally free. And it was uh, a, a like farce of Shakespeare in the park, which is a very famous thing in Central Park where they do Shakespeare yeah. in the in the open air. Uh, and this was called Cage in the Park, where we did a Nicolas Cage movie, but in Shakespearean verse, but took it like very seriously. Uh, so we did w- face I, off. How did I miss this? <laughs> oh, man, it was really fantastic. And, and the cast was great. I mean, like uh, X Maya was there. Oh, um, really? Yeah, she was great. Uh, it, but it was but it was a lot of fun. And we did it, you know, very cheap. And and it was just a thing that was kind of for the love of it. Uh, yeah. and, and same thing with uh, the same director, uh, Sebastian DiNatale, who works over at, at The Daily Show right now. Uh, we did a live choose your own adventure teleplay on the local like cable access network. So, you know, we did a, mm-hmm. we, like the entire thing was put on for like two hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, but we did a live choose your own adventure. Uh, it's it's on YouTube. You can find it. It's called The Fancy Ones. It was on an episode of Chris Gethard Presents. Oh, and, cool. Yeah. And just man, it was so much fun. And so working with, you know, someone like him, who's a very good friend, um, and someone who I enjoy collaborating with, even though I'm kind of getting back into that like production sphere, all of a sudden it becomes more worth it because I do feel an ownership of it. Yeah. Whereas when it's a cooking show that's going to air on Food Network, I, I'm a hired hand. I'm a hired gun. Great. I love doing the work. I'll try to make things better for the crew, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't feel that ownership. Whereas when it's my buddy calls me and says, hey, let's do this thing. It's crazy. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Let's figure out how to make it work. I'm totally there. And so yeah. when, so when like later, I think like next month he's called me for like an actual like paid job that he's doing now I will, I, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I, we haven't you know, I don't know the future, but I imagine that I will feel more, more of an ownership with that job because it is like, it's with a friend. It's helping him put on a thing that he wants to do. Yeah. Um, and taking the skills that I, the skills that I love and the, you know, the work that I love, um, but putting it now into an environment that I love rather than an environment that I don't care for as much. Yeah. I don't know, Brian. It sounds like you might be a bit of a sculptor. It sounds like you uh, was really kind of like lighting your fire right now is taking uh, materials from other people and cobbling them together. (laughs) Yeah. There is, there is a real uh, through line of like curation rather than creation to my, to my oeuvre. Uh, over, over, whatever the French word for that is, um, for my CV, um, that is definitely true. I'm sure that says something about me as well. I don't know. <laughs> Michelangelo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm Michelangelo, baby. All right. Yeah. Gave me a slice of pizza. Um, no, those are the turtle ones. Uh, no, it's really interesting that you say that because I think there is something to, to, uh, say about, it's it's not only like work that invigorates you, but also like the, the specific collaboration aspect and specifically about collaborating with people that you are passionate about with like your friends. Yeah. And so it's so it's not necessarily any one medium, like it's not necessarily just podcasts or just no video I, I, stuff or what or whatever. Yeah, I, I I'm sure. I mean, unless my life really takes a, a strange turn, I'm sure I'll still end up in the, the media sphere. <laughs> you know, I'll be 
doing audio editing or doing video production or doing live production. Um, Mm -hmm. just because that's, you know, be careful what you get good at because you can only get good at so many things. Uh, (laughs) And I've been doing it for long enough where now that's, I'm just good at it now. But yeah, you know, when you find those people that are, that are good to work with, um, that enhance the experience, those are the the relationships that you should hold on to. Yeah. Um, Like, I, I mean, and I'm just thinking, you know, even on these shows that I, that I that I'm pseudo complaining about that that I, that I don't find fulfillment from. There uh-huh. is a a particular director who is my absolute favorite to work with. Um, he v- very successfully has done like you know hundred camera shows and also like these small things. He's been around for a very long time, mm-hmm. and the environment that he creates on set and the like respect that the crew gives him because of like the respect that he gives the crew mm-hmm. is so is so good to be around and is so invigorating that it takes some of these rougher jobs or like jobs that I find less fulfillment about and gives it maybe not enough of a flame, but yeah. it gives you that spark where it's like, you know what? I, this guy's calling me. I, I'll do it for him. Cause that's yeah. now, even though like I, me and this guy, we're not necessarily like friends in, in like a non-professional capacity, but you um, don't have a photo of him up above your desk that says do it for him. You know, I, <laughs> I do like have the Simpsons. <laughs> I, I, I do have a, a Polaroid wall uh, in my in my apartment. that's all like all it's like 400 photos of crew members that I've worked with. And he, so he is on there. Um, <laughs> do it for her. Do it, do it for her. But so, I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I'm still kind of chasing that feeling of fulfillment. And I'm finding it more in like, you know, making things that are. I really end up finding fulfillment in things that will never be profitable. You know, <laughs> ma- making, making a, a, a collaborative art zine, man, never going to be profitable. Ah. Making another D&D podcast, never going to be profitable. <laughs> I, I, I need to really like get passionate about Bitcoin or something, uh, but not Bitcoin, something else. Not Bitcoin, please. <laughs> um, but really, you know, finding those different avenues to finding fulfillment. And some of that is some of that is through creation. Some of that is through collaboration and some of that is through mm-hmm. just finding those spaces and people yeah. that, that fill that void and make your time worth it. That, that like lower that opportunity costs and you realize, you know what, this is worth it. This is worth me investing my time in because yeah. this relationship is valuable to me. So do you think you'll ultimately continue to, to swerve in whatever direction that that sort of value takes you? I, I have of late, you know, been taking more stock, you know, there's, there's a point in your career, especially in production where you just take any job that comes. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you have, especially when you're like, when you're a PA and you're making, you know, 200 bucks for a 14 hour day, it's like, you, you gotta take all the jobs. Yeah. Um, and there's something good for that. You know, you learn a lot of different things, be, you know, because, you know, you climb the ranks, you, you do the work. Uh, I'm able to be a bit more selective about what I want to do and what I want to take on. And that has been beneficial for me because now I've been able to like more actively chase the things that I want. And for, for of recent days, it's been being in the environments, being with the people that I'm more interested in working with. And I'm hoping that, you know, in the near future, it gets to be more the projects that I'm more interested in being involved in. And I think that's kind of beginning to come about where, you know, doing these like personal projects, personal projects of these various mm-hmm. podcasts, you know, working with, um, Sebastian on the things that he wants to do, you know, getting together with more friends that were friends before they were colleagues yeah, is 
really where I'm hoping like the next year gets me. Yeah. And I'm sure like, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. That's going to be a thing that I have to supplement with these, with these, you know, less than fulfilling jobs, which, you know, is fine. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. At least I can find fulfillment in the work in some way. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, you slowly start to chip away, you know, going for the sculpture metaphor again, you slowly start <laughs> to chip away at things that aren't fulfilling until you find your ideal occupation, f- fulfillment, calling, whatever. Um, so not only are you fulfilled in the work, but you're fulfilled in the time that you're giving to that work that you could be doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. So for now, the general goal is to just lean into your swerve, huh? And continue to keep making headway toward the goal of your doing more exciting projects for yourself. Yeah. I think it's really, it's really leading into the swerve, really trying to lean into the fear of, of actually having to like try at the thing you actually want to do rather yeah. than just dream about it. Um, which is honestly <laughs> just this, it, it's, it's scary to like, to, that, you know, you've been wanting to do this thing for so long and then actually having to do it and be, be very realistically confronted with how good you actually are or how yep. competent you actually are at this skill. Mm-hmm. Um, which there are times in my life where it's been, oh, great, I'm good at it. And there's been times <laughs> in my life where it's been, oh boy, you got a, like, you got a while Uh-oh. to go. Um, <laughs> and, and oftentimes, oftentimes you get just good enough to realize how high the mountain is. You, you climb oh, yeah. really high, you get past the cloud cover, you think you're at the top and you realize, oh no, I'm at base camp. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, it's hard to see the forest through the trees sometimes. There's a there's an Amy Poehler quote uh, that I really like is from her book um, that she just said. uh, And I mean, anyone could have said this, but it's in her book. It's just just, uh, the talking about the thing and the thinking about the thing are not the thing. The doing of the thing is the thing. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. So like Nike, just do it. Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. You heard it here first. Just do it, folks. Yeah, it's it's the first time that's ever been said. That is an original (laughs) thought. Three words, just do it, always with a period at the end. Just do it, period. And I'm getting like a vibe of a swishy thing happening alongside of it, but I don't know. It's just a feeling more than anything else. When you say swishy thing, do you maybe mean a like swervy thing? Uh, We we belong in jail for these puns. Take us away. Take us away right now. Thank you again, Brian, for joining me on the episode today. Uh, And also thank you for being one of the day one listeners of this podcast. It's really been a pleasure to have this come full circle and chat with you on air. If you want to follow Brian, you can follow him on Instagram at bflare42. But perhaps more importantly, if you're interested in checking out his podcasts, you absolutely should. The first of which is a Dungeons & Dragons gameplay podcast titled The 20-Sided Podcast. The second is a companion podcast titled Cannon Fodder. That's Cannon with one N. Get it? <laughs> both of them are available wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also follow them both on Instagram. I'm Angela Palladino, and you can follow me on Instagram at ange.pal or on Twitter at angepal. And if you like what you hear on these episodes, please rate and review the podcast. It would really mean a lot to me and really help me out in the rankings on the podcast charts and all that bananas bullshit. (laughs) That's it for today, but that's not it for me. I'll be back again next week with more conversations that are only getting swervier from here. 
Thank you again so much for listening. I got more episodes coming out for you soon. And by that, I mean in exactly seven days from now, there will be another episode right where you're listening to this one right now. So please keep an eye out for it and join me then. But until then, I'll talk to you. 